Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us. I have on the set with me today uh, my pastor, who's the senior pastor of the church that I attend, Pastor Lisa Unger. She's also my sister, and uh, uh, pastors a great church here in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. If you are in the tri-state area, you owe it to yourself to come by and visit and, and hear her preach. And uh, I, I think probably someone from my team will put uh, a website or, or some kind of information up on the, on the screen where you can uh, communicate with her or see what we do. But the name of the church is Word of Deliverance. It's good to have you back on with me. It's great again to be today. here. Thank you for the opportunity. Now she's been on with me for three weeks, and uh, we uh, have shared some powerful things from Ezra and Nehemiah. If you missed them, you can go back to my YouTube channel and watch them on demand. And you can also get the uh, iTunes audio feed and an RSS feed. The easiest way to do it is to go to my website. And in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to those channels where you can review them or watch them again. Uh, We're talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, the restoration of the temple and the restoration of the city. I believe those things are spiritual things because the temple of God in the New Testament is not a building. It's a people. people. Jesus was the first temple. When he stood in front of John's, in John's gospel, he stood in front of the temple. He said, you destroyed this temple in three days, I'll raise it back again. He was talking about the temple of his body. But we also, as the body of Christ, are lively stones fitly framed together to build a habitation of God through the Spirit. So the temple God's building in this day is not in the Middle East. It's in the middle of you. And then he's restoring the city. Jesus said, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. And he says to them that uh, uh, we've come, Hebrews 12 said, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Revelation 3 says to him that overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He'll go no more out. I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem is not a place, it is a people. And God is restoring His temple and His city because a river has to flow out of it. And a river that flows out will touch the nations. It will produce a tree that heals the nations of the earth. Revelation 21 is not talking about heaven. If it is, outside the gates are dogs and whoremongers and whoever loves and makes alive. But He says, the gates of the city were never shut day or night. And so uh, there ought to be something about the church, the city of God, the temple of God that leaves some open doors that said the spirit and the bride are saying come. Come. And so you started talking about the gates of Nehemiah, the 12 gates. And we talked about the fish gate last week. But while we were off camera, you were talking about the gates. And I want you to jump back in there and talk about those gates again, because you've been doing more teaching on the gates than I have. So go ahead. But you know, the gates, uh, as we said, the, the gates aren't just about like restoring a natural city or a natural building or things like that. Jesus comes along and fulfills all of those gates yeah. in the New Testament. He is the sheep gate. Yeah. He is the lamb of sacrifice. He is, um, you know, he says, uh, I'm the door of the sheep. Yeah. If anybody's going to come into the fold, he's first going to have to come through me. You know, and he makes visible the, and, and the door, they said when a, when a uh, sheep 
you know, a shepherd would have sheep, what he would do was and, and get them in kind of a corral type thing, and then he would literally lay down in front of the entrance of those sheep, yeah. and he literally would become the door. He would block the entrance to that so that nothing that was going to get into the sheepfold was going, could, uh, had to pass by him first. Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, that's a beautiful picture to yeah. me of the shepherd that literally lays down in front of the door and guards the sheep and protects the sheep. You know, uh, we talked about the old gate. There are some things that, that are sure and solid and foundational things. You know, and Jesus came along teaching foundational things. He said, a wise man builds, and he builds his house on a rock. Yeah. You know, um, so there are some foundational things that I need think that we need to set into place. And, you know, we talked about the fish gate, and Jesus comes along then uh, to establish the fish gate, and he goes to the disciples, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so many times, you know, he did the miracle of the fish. And, and even to the point that, you know, when he said, uh, if, if a man would ask a fish, if a son would ask a fish, would you give him a serpent? And, you know, when he establishes the gospel of the fish of salvation, not, you know, the serpent was uh, deceit and, uh, you know, in the garden. And, uh, but Jesus, uh, the message of the gospel was not one about, we don't hear, listen to the voice. If, if, if a son is asking us for fish, if they're asking us for the message of the gospel, they don't want the corruption of the serpent. You know, we know that, yep. the, that that's not the voice of the serpent has no place. And so all the different gates, I believe Jesus establishes them in himself and he fulfills them. And one of them that's interesting is the fountain gate. And the fountain gate is one of them that's there by the pool of Siloam and by the pool of Bethesda, which is interesting that those are the only two miracles that are performed in Jerusalem. The rest of Jesus' uh, miracles are performed outside mm -hmm. of the city. But when we were talking about, you know, posterity and, and building for the, the generations to come and all through the generations, we've seen great reformations and we've seen great uh, revivals come after chaos yeah. and pandemics and after, you know, diseases or war or whatever. And I don't believe God needs a no, pandemic no. to move. And we've established that. Yeah. But I believe that it sets us up to prepare for the next generations yet to come. There were so many things that come out of, say, like World War II that we learned that we, uh, we became better for it because, you know, such things like rubber and things like that because of the need in military and things like that. And so there are things that are being created in the midst of this. There yep. are being, you know, songs written in the midst yep. of this. There are sermons. There's so much stuff that's being done that's good in the midst of this. But... Uh, so we're not just preparing for this day, but we prepare for the generations yet to come and establishing what the next generation inherits and things. And when I was thinking about the fountain gate, uh, you know, so many times Jesus uh, ministered around the fountain or, you know, connected with water. But one of the things that the fountain gate was connected to the pool of Siloam. And the scripture, when we think about the pool of Siloam, was when Jesus is with the disciples and they said, Master who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Well, first we know that's absurd because if we're going to go all the way back to sinning in the womb, then we, we're, we're in, a, in a tight yeah. place, you yeah. know, <laughs> that this man was born blind. Yeah. You know, he said, no one, but that the works yeah. of God might be made manifest. And Jesus, uh, you know, uh, heals the man who was born blind and he sends him to the pool of Siloam. And I often wondered, he said, go to the, to the pool uh, of Siloam and wash. And he came again seeing. And I always wonder, how did that guy get to 
the pool of Siloam. Mm -hmm. If you were blind, how did you find the pool of Siloam? But somebody got him by the hand and said, if today's your day of miracle, is today's your day of healing, I'm going to get you by the hand and take you there. I might not be able to fix you or heal you, but I can take you to the place where you can get your miracle. And so Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam. Had somebody back in the day of Nehemiah not established the fountain gate and repaired the pools, a man way over in the New Testament who was born Think blind might have missed his miracle because somebody didn't have vision back that. in the day of yeah. Jeremiah. If we don't have vision in this day of where we're going to get to, then there could be a generation that misses the miracles of what God wants to do, but somebody already had a pool in yeah. place. Somebody had already reestablished a fountain gate. Somebody had given a place where that man could come and get his miracle. And so it's not what we, it's not just where we are today, but what we're building and what we get to. Mm -hmm. You know, we pour into the lives of kids all the time through youth ministry and things like that. And my hope is that one day the kids that I pour into here can come one day, come back and pour into my kids, yeah. you know, or pour into a generation. My grandbabies are somebody that, that we can establish a fountain right now that the generations can come back and receive the bounty of what somebody established right now and give a place to come to receive miracles. And, you yep. know, yep. and Jesus challenged, I mean, really the challenge there is the mindset of the religious group that said, well, yeah, that's a great miracle, but you did it on the Sabbath. Yeah. And Jesus says in that picture, the greater blindness is not the man who was born blind, but that the people were so blind, even his parents said, well, let him ask, answer for himself because they could put us out of the synagogue if we say that Jesus did this miracle. And my thing is, if, uh, you know, if your church membership depends on whether Jesus operates or not, then it might be time to change churches. Yeah. They're afraid of getting thrown out of the church because Jesus moved yeah. on the scene. And there has to be desire in this day for the move of the Holy Spirit and for God to do what He wants to do in our services and in the midst. And if it ain't moving, it might be time to change churches. Yeah. Yeah. And so He was establishing a fountain, the man who comes to the, uh, to the pool of Bethesda. Those two places where the miracles were done in Jerusalem. He comes to the pool of Bethesda. And that pool was a, was a mikvah. It was a place for ceremonial washings mm -hmm. and cleaning. And, you know, uh, it's fed by the fountain gate and by the pool of Siloam and all of that there because somebody had established a place, you know, where the water could flow. And you, you've shared some things before even about that the, the water from the sacrificial lambs would flow even into yeah, those streams and things. Because it was close, I think, to the sheep gate or the sheep market one where right. they would cut the throats of the lambs and the blood of the lamb would run into the water and that's what would trouble the water. Yeah. And even that, that point there was, you know, that man was there for 38 years, which was the amount of time the children of Israel were in the wilderness after they forfeited mm -hmm. the Abrahamic covenant and brought the, the covenant of Sinai. They were there for 38 years. So it was like specific that he's trying to bring them back again to the restoration of the real city of God and the real tabernacle of God, which is a spiritual place. And pointing them back to the blood and, you know, waiting on the troubling of the water. But the water troubler was there that day, and he brought them back to the restoration of that gate. And, you know, I think, I was thinking while you were saying that, I was thinking about, I don't want to talk too much because I want you to have all the time here. 
I was thinking about, you know, uh, I did a legacy meeting not too long ago because we were talking about how, you know, each pours into the next and what they did. What if they wouldn't have restored that? Would there have been a pool of slum? Would there have been a pool of siloam? Right. I did a legacy meeting and, and Doc Egan was there. Doc Egan passed off the scene last year. He was 93 years old. But my first year of ministry, I got robbed three times in four days. And, I, you know, I was discouraged and everybody thought, that he's going to go home. He'll probably quit the ministry. And they're all, all, you know, doomsday gainsayers, like, you know, and almost rejoicing over it. Over yeah. my, you know, yeah. thinking, boy, you know. But I went down to Doc. And Doc was in Mississippi, and he gave me a $200 offering, which at that time was pretty good. That's 40-some years ago. But it kept me on the road. And when Doc was in that meeting, I said to him, I said, Doc, would you ever thought that $200 offering that you gave kept a guy in the ministry that 40 years later, when this camera comes on, he would touch 140 million homes? And when I said that, Doc burst into tears because I, I don't think he ever thought about it. He probably even forgot about the offering. But the thing of it is, is we don't realize what we're sowing into. You know, and I say that even when with people sowing into young preachers that may not have a lot of substance yet, sow into a generation because they might be the next thing that God will use, just like these pools were, that if somebody hadn't restored these gates and these gates were not back open again, the sheep gate, you know, the 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 the, 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 the fish, fish gate, gate, the, the you fountain know, all, gate, the fountain the gates. Yeah. There wouldn't be a fountain open for the flow. Right. And so it is important that we see. We don't see it when we're in that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, all I can tell you is it was tough times. And I'm sure Doc didn't see the the impact of this $200 offering. Right. You know, and I right. think sometimes people don't realize, even when they're faithful in their local churches to give during these times of pandemic, is that people so and you keep, you know, because what you don't support, regardless about what you believe about giving, I always put it in a nutshell, what you don't support goes away. Yeah. But when you support yeah. something, is I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread, but Jesus says to them, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through his name. You will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that he is the great I am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today especially if it's pouring into the next generation, young people, and not just young people, but all of them, because everybody has their place. We have such a need. To me, I think we need to value our seniors. I think we need to value the wisdom, like you said, the old gate. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff that this older generation, you know, it's amazing when you're young, you say, oh, mom and dad, they're just old fogies. But the older you get, the smarter you realize they got. Mm-hmm. Either that or the smarter yeah. you got, you know. And so right. I just think that's important, right. you know. So uh, you know, right. those, those, uh, somebody had to somebody had to build it ahead of time. Absolutely, and you know, you're talking about the seniors. You know, some of them they're they're my best amen corner. Yeah. You know, when you're preaching, I want some I want some of my older seniors there yeah. because they're going to cheer me on. They're yeah. going to you know, and uh, uh, they're going to hang with me. Yeah. You know, they because they they believe in you, they pour into you. But we keep the fountain. Yeah. Available. We yeah. keep the fountain open. We keep the fountain accessible. 
you know, and, and really when I think of fountain, I think of the flow of the Holy Spirit, yeah. something that's moving, something yeah. that's life-giving, yeah. something that is alive. You know, you were talking before, uh, we were just talking about off camera about when Jesus comes into the woman of Samaria. Yeah. And, uh, you know, comes to the well. Yeah. You know, he said, I have a need. I must go needs go through Samaria. It was, it didn't, he didn't say the Samaritan woman has a need. He said, I have a need to go through Samaria. And he sits on that well. And he not only wants to give her a drink, but he wants to make her a fountain. Yeah. You know, he said, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, you'd ask me, I'd give you a drink of living water that you never thirst again. And I believe God's desire in this day is not to just come to the fountain. You know, I say, I preached a sermon one time uh, called Come Full and Leave Empty. Yeah. And most of my days growing up in church, I feel like, you know, we came to church and said, here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm busted, broke, and, you know, yeah. empty when I get to church and he fills me up and then I go out and it leaks out somehow through the week and I come back and I get, you know, filled back up again. But I said, what if we ever came full and left the house empty like the woman with an alabaster box that she, when she came into the room, she popped the cork. And when she did, she changed the atmosphere in the room. Yes, she changed she the stench of the room. The things that stunk before now was filled with the aroma of an alabaster box. And all of a sudden, the attention of the room was focused on her because something had been released in the room different than anybody had ever experienced before. And something shifted in that meeting and in that gathering when somebody poured out of what they were, or mm -hmm. poured out. So what if we ever came to the house of God so empty and so full of the anointing, not with a mindset that, you know, I come in empty and, and fill me up, but I come in full, I come in prayed up, I come in full of praise and worship and the anointing and realize I have something in my vessel that I am a fountain. And then when I get into the presence in the house of God and the anointing starts to go, the flow of the fountain of the flow of the anointing spirit of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we get to begin to minister one to the other and we yep. begin to touch and we begin to release that he said out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water you know and, and Isaiah says wherever those rivers flow they're going to bring life say to them that are of a fearful heart fear not be strong for behold your God will come with vengeance he will come with recompense will come and save you the eyes of the blind shall be open ears of the deaf be unstopped in the wilderness shall waters spring out in streams in the desert if ever there's a time to be a fountain to be a life-giving source to begin to flow on ground that's dry and thirsty and cause life to spring forth out of that it's not about just a gate in a city it's about becoming a fountain yeah in this day a fresh drink of water an anointing a flow of anointing that when we release that, but with the mandate and the understanding that what we're doing in this day, there'll be some, you know, might be somebody down the road that says, I am what I am or who I am because somebody stood up in the midst of chaos and crisis and released water that flowed to desert places. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking that when Jesus said that, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. I need to do something on purpose that's going to break the cultural traditions of the day. Because number one, he was a Jew speaking to a woman who was a Samaritan. Mm -hmm. So he broke the cultural norm 
of a man talking to a woman and a racial norm because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But, you know, you and I were talking uh, uh, off camera a little bit that the chapter prior to this, actually there's some of this, I think, in this new book, The Great I Am. But Jesus goes to Nicodemus. I call him Nick at night. And Nicodemus comes to him by night, and he said, Nick, you need to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom. And he says, uh, you know, how can a man be born again? He said, you know, and so Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says to him, how is it that you're a master teacher in Israel and you don't know these you things? Know. And so he must have been something that Nicodemus already Should knew. Have known. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the few places in the scripture, I might have dealt with this in some of my former uh, shows on this, but in the, when Nicodemus, I mean, he, he would have thought about Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, because the wind, he says to him, you, the, being born again is like the wind. You don't know where it came from, where it went. But he was talking about the wind being released. And we're talking about the wind being released through Ezra and Nehemiah, which is a type of the Holy Spirit moving, right. breathing. When he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Ghost, a fresh wind of God. But he, when, uh, he, he would have thought of Ezekiel 37 and the prophecies of the dry bones. Can these bones live again in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of, I, I forget exactly, might have been even the Babylonian captivity that he prophesied that. Mm-hmm. He said, can they live again? Mm-hmm. He said, well, prophesy to the wind and say, breathe on these slain. But the latter part of that, he starts talking about, he steps out of that again and starts talking about the greater covenant. He says, I'll make a new covenant, mm-hmm. an everlasting covenant. The royal seed of David will sit on the throne forever. Right. And he's talking about the kingdom. He's still ta- yeah. he's talking to Nicodemus, listen, Nick, your natural genealogy is not enough. You need to be born again. You need a new genetic. Yes. And so it's not about our natural genealogy, but the wind is going to blow. And there's going to be, if you're going to see the kingdom and the restoration of the kingdom, it's going to take the Holy Ghost because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right. But when uh, in the midst of rattling, in the midst of shaking, there was bone came to bone, sinew to sinew. I'm, I'm taking a long time here. Go ahead. Go ahead. But Good he stuff. was, in the midst of it, he was, uh, you know, bone to bone. And things were beginning to come together. And he's prophesying then of the greater fulfillment of that. And he's talking about the coming of Messiah and the coming of the son of David, which Jesus was. But in that same text, it says, go get the stick of Judah and Benjamin and go get the stick of the 10 tribes that were divided and bring them back together because I'm going to restore them back under one king, one Lord. I'm going to bring them back together. And what, it, what, what, what we don't realize is the stone, uh, Benjamin and, and Judah were the became what was known as the Jews. The ten tribes, which was the division split off of that, and they were divided, had been divided, and the ten tribes mingled themselves with the people of the land and had become what was known as the Samaritans. Mm-hmm. And so right after Jesus deals with Nicodemus and says, you don't understand, you're a master teacher, you don't understand anything about this wind and what it's supposed to do, and it's going to bow and restore, and it's going to even bring kingdoms back together again. It's going to break cultural norms. It is not an accident that in the very next chapter, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria, because that was, and then it's in that place that he says to the woman, or she says to him, our people say we need to worship here. Your people say we need to worship there. And Jesus said, let me tell you something, man. It is not about where you worship. Because the hour is coming, and it now is, when true worshipers are going to worship me in spirit Spirit and truth, because the temple that God is building is not made out of physical stones. It's made out of lively stones. 
and it is something that will change the culture of the day and bring reconciliation and change that is the birth pains of where we're standing at right now. And as we look back at the history of the progression of the legacies that have laid the groundwork, every generation has done something to bring us back to where these gates are. And they're never shut day and night in Revelation. Right. You know, we got some time. Let me take and it's back not about that natural gate, yeah. but it's about us becoming the gates. Yeah. You know, the scripture says, lift up your head, O ye gates, yes. and be lifted up your everlasting door where gates don't have heads. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord strong, mighty and bad, you know, uh, mighty and bad. And so the gates and the access to the kingdom or to the city of God, the new Jerusalem, is not about doors and mortar and stone. It's about an access into the kingdom of God yeah. through the sheep market, through salvation, yeah. understanding, you know, he was a lamb uh, led to the slaughter. He yeah. was the, the lamb. John the Baptist says it on the shore. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, through the fish gate, the uh, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, old gate, some foundational things, fountain gate the flow of the Holy Spirit, you know, the power of the, the life-giving force, the flow of the Holy Spirit, you know, that, um, that, you know, that we deal with. Um, you know, you can go on to the dung gate. The dung gate deals with, uh, it's at the Valley of Gehenna. Yeah. Jesus buys back the, the, the Valley of Gehenna uh, with the 30 pieces of silver, basically, that, you know, is paid field? to Judas. It's the potter's field. It's another name for the potter's field or Akeldama or the potter's field. It's at the Valley of Gehenna. Yeah. Jesus purchases that with 30 pieces of silver. He doesn't just pay for it in silver, but he pays for it in his blood. Yep. It's the access to the kingdom of God, the city of God, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which we are, and when we become that in the earth and we recognize that's who we are, then reformation takes place because we are not just tolerating where we are, we are reforming and building for the next generation and that, you know, for where God has taken us in this day. Yes. And that's going to come through the flow of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And all the gates are being restored. I was thinking while you said about the dung gate, you know, I preached a message on it some time ago that the, the dung gate, Jesus was crucified outside the dung gate. If you put the map of Nehemiah over it, outside the dung gate. And when uh, Nehemiah came to town, that was one of the first gates he saw was the dung gate, you know, or the dung port. And uh, I, just to make a long story short, you know, Paul says this. He says, I was, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. As touching the law, I was blameless, but I counted all as, as dung, dung that I might win Christ. And so we got to learn how to get rid of the dung. And sometimes that's religious dung. Mm -hmm. But I want, what, 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 what you don't understand is that he, he told them, uh, you know, even in the Old Testament, he said, you know, he said, uh, when we're journeying from the wilderness into the promised land, I've got to talk fast. But he said, uh, it shall come to pass that when thou shalt ease thyself abroad, go outside the camp, dig a hole, cover that which is cometh of thee, and take the paddle which is upon thy weapon, which was a nail, and use it to dig a hole and cover it up. What we don't realize is that Jesus was crucified outside the city, outside the dung gate, and he took the nail, and he nailed all of our religious crap and all of our fleshly crap to the tree that we might be able to enter in and be cleansed from it and, and count all is done that we might win Christ. We're out of time. 
If you want to sow into this ministry, Good go to stuff. the website. It's the best way to do it. You can give via credit card. PayPal is there, and it will let you give credit card, debit card, however you want to. Or you can send check or money order to the number that will come up on the screen. Or call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.